Hello and welcome to this uh, absolutely fantastic episode on one of the most sought-after topics by applicants and security clearance holders, which pertains to marijuana use and CBD oils. Everyone has operated under a mistaken belief in this area, and literally hundreds, if not thousands of people are losing their clearances or being denied a clearance uh, because of misunderstanding. This is your host, Alan Edmonds. I'm an attorney that has practiced national security law for over 46 years. My law firm, the Edmonds Law Firm, has offices coast to coast from Washington, D.C. to San Diego and Texas and North Carolina and Florida. And I am delighted to be able to talk to you about an area that has been on everyone's mind for months and months because of the changes in the law. So today I want to go over the adjudicative guidelines and I want to tell you uh, what the director of national intelligence has to say on this topic. Um, She is a person that oversees the uh, security clearance adjudication guideline process uh, before uh, probably 20 to 30 federal agencies. Uh, her name is Averill, A-V-R-I-L, Haynes, H-A-I-N-E-S. And she issued a directive, a memorandum on December 21st, 2021. And even though that directive is not that old, it's already subject to change because of Uh, actions by the President of the United States, and uh, the common belief and direction on the part of the federal government that marijuana should be legalized, but it is not. So you can reach me at 800-481-2526 if you have questions. I welcome questions from my listeners. In fact, it's your questions and emails uh, to alanedmonds.com that really precipitate a lot of these podcasts and uh, your questions are fantastic and I welcome them. And this podcast uh, has several focuses, so to speak, and purposes, but one of the main ones is to educate you and to let you know the pitfalls in the adjudicated process when you're seeking a security clearance or you're defending a security clearance. A lot of people don't realize this is not an exercise where the government is uh, friendly to you and comes alongside and helps you get through this process so that you can get a clearance. Just the opposite applies. The government and uh, their attorneys at uh, the Defense Office of Hearings and Appeals, at the Department of Energy, uh, at NSA, all these agencies that the Edmonds Law Firm appears in front of, Their job is to protect the United States and make sure you don't get a clearance if you happen to land with your behavior or conduct in one of the 13 guideline areas under the national directive. Uh, You have to understand that the government attorneys are not there to help you. Many of you try and do this yourself. Many of you reach out to the attorney and believe that they are going to give you guidance and proper Uh, suggestions on how to achieve 
or win a clearance when you go to court or you do a response to the statement of reasons, that's simply not the case. And that's not their job, to be quite honest. Their job is to take your clearance. And uh, no matter how weak their case is, they are going to devote all their energies and resources to preventing you from getting a clearance, which leads me into the next topic about the role that your security officer or your FSO, field security officer, has in your life getting a security clearance. You should understand that they work for the federal government. They do not work for you. And as such, they really can't constructively help you defend against an accusation that comes out of the Fort Meade Consolidated uh, Adjudication Facility. That's not their job. The S-2 and the military, the security officer, the field security officers for civilians, their job is to uh, respect and to support and to follow the regulations that have been given to them. And today is just uh, an example of that. I have a copy of a memorandum that is uh, directed to all agencies, federal agencies, by the Director of National Intelligence. And we're going to talk about this in depth because this is huge. But if you saw the distribution list, uh, Department of State, Department of Treasury, Department of Defense, Department of Justice, Department of Interior, I mean, it goes on and on. Department of Energy, Department of Veterans Affairs, Department of Homeland Security, the distribution list from the uh, director of national intelligence uh, goes to virtually every uh, government agency, uh, defense intelligence agency. I'm just naming a few national reconnaissance office, NRO, uh, national security agency, NSA. I've told you how difficult they are. And, uh, but this, this distribution list is mind-boggling. So what she says is indeed significant and very important because every agency is going to follow it. And um, the defense industry, the defense contract industry with Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and other defense contractors like Northrop Grumman, all of these, even uh, Microsoft, all of these companies have FSOs, field security officers, and they are obligated to report to the Department of Defense any misfeasance or problems that they encounter. And you're going to say, well, what are you talking about, Mr. Evans? What problems? Well, let's say an employee has a drunk driving over the weekend or an employee has a domestic violence, he, he or she gets in a fight with their spouse, or an employee is accused of shoplifting, or an employee is confined for 72 hours for a mental health evaluation because law enforcement found them at a bar or wandering on the street. There's a myriad of reasons why events happen in people's lives. And these employees come into their workspace, into their corporations, and they have to report that misconduct 
to their human resources or their security officer. And as soon as they do that, the dominoes start to fall. And a lot of people think, well, the security officer's my friend. He's not going to report it. Well, that's not true. He will absolutely report it, he or she, because they're obligated to do so. And they do report it. They may say to you, oh, well, don't worry about it. But the truth of the matter is they have forms that they have to complete as soon as they learn that an employee or a contractor has been found to be in violation of certain behavior under the guideline. So today we're going to focus on this really popular reason to revoke a clearance, which is marijuana use. And marijuana use has been around for decades. And yet marijuana use is one of the most prevalent bases that the Department of Defense, or if you go to an administrative hearing, the administrative judges will deny your clearance. And the significant part of the marijuana use is the uh, CBD products, CBD oils, which everybody can buy in states where marijuana has been legalized. And they think, well, if I use the oils, it shouldn't be a problem. And that's not the case. And then the other thing is, is the action by the uh, passage of the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, which excluded hemp from the definition of marijuana. And then you get into this scientific uh, analysis of the products that you're using and whether they have a greater than 0.3% concentration of the Delta-9 metabolite THC. I know this is getting very, very technical, but this is the area that I work on and work in every day in the courtrooms and in our responses. I have been doing marijuana cases in the military for over 45 years, and uh, I have uh, represented some people. I was one of the first attorneys to do uh, an unknowing ingestion defense back in San Diego at the Naval Station. I used to do literally hundreds of court-martials, and uh, most of them involved uh, marijuana or its derivative products. So people get confused, and they say, wait a minute, this uh, Agricultural Improvement Act just excluded hemp from the Marijuana Controlled Substance Act, so I guess I can use CBD oils. Well, the answer is you cannot use them because it depends on the concentration of the Delta-9 metabolite, which is in THC, and it's a psychoactive ingredient in marijuana. And um, if the CBD products have greater than 0.3%, then it's a concern to the Department of Defense. And you can say, well, My product that I bought in California or in a state where it was legalized said that the concentration was below 0.3. And the question arises, can you trust that? And the Department of Defense will not give you the benefit of the doubt. They will require you to prove the actual concentration. And how do you do that? Well, hopefully you'll call the Edmonds Law Firm because that's what we do. We send uh, products out for independent testing, 
and we confirm the level of the Delta 9 metabolite, that's what you're paying for when you hire an attorney. Not only his experience, not only their track record, not only their uh, prevalence of appearing before all these judges and hearing officers, but also the specific knowledge and use of experts. And that's what our firm does. So let's get back to this. We have uh, taken a detour. This this directive, this memorandum from the Director of National Intelligence uh, says some important stuff. And uh, so I want to share some of this with you because I think knowledge is powerful. And she says in this memorandum, quote, I encourage agencies to remind civilian, military, and contractor personnel who are eligible for access to classified information as well as authorized investigative and adjudicative personnel of the importance of adhering to federal law and policies. So right off the bat, she's letting you know that the federal law still governs. It governs all the states in the United States that have legalized marijuana use. And she is saying, we don't care about state action. We want you to know that the federal laws have not changed. She goes on to say, thus consistent with the references indicates that disregard of federal law pertaining to marijuana remains relevant. And um, it may be a mitigating factor, but she says it remains relative, uh, relevant to adjudicative eligibility for access. So there's a little crack there in the wall. She is finally acknowledging that uh, marijuana use at the federal level, is zero tolerance or absolute, but she acknowledges the clear direction and the force at which states and even the federal government is looking at marijuana use and being more lenient. She goes on to say, based on current federal law, I provide additional adjudicative guidance herein on three topics that have generated ongoing inquiries. Number one, the recency of recreation marijuana use. Many people call me at 800-481-2526, and they say, Mr. Edmonds, I used marijuana for the last three years. And that's exactly what the director here is raising. When was the last time you used marijuana? If it's recent, then that's a problem. If the last time you used marijuana was several years ago, then that's mitigation. And she goes on to say that there should be uh, inquiries about CBD products and oils. In other words, again, a second crack in the wall. The government at the federal level is recognizing that CBD oils are being used very commonly and frequently for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is medicinal and medical. So, again, when the courts are faced with this rising increase in CBD oils, they have to acknowledge it. They can't ignore it. So she is still maintaining federal law applies, but she is saying that CBD oils may be uh an exception depending upon the concentration of the metabolite and also why they're, why they are being used. Then we get to this third area where the director 
of uh, national intelligence is saying to all of the federal agencies in the government, watch out for investments by persons in marijuana-related businesses. What does that mean? I get a lot of calls from people across the United States, and they say, I bought a stock in uh, a marijuana manufacturing company, or I bought a stock that, uh, and I'm talking about stock market and stocks as investments, that I bought a stock in a company that has uh, business ventures pertaining to marijuana growers and retailers. Is that a problem? And the answer is absolutely it is. If you have investments in the marijuana industry and you knowingly invested in those stocks or business ventures, you're going to be denied a clearance. The government doesn't want you as a prospective security clearance holder uh, or an applicant to have investments in the marijuana business. They believe it creates a conflict with federal law. Now, the director does cite a distinction. And she says here that if you invest, if a marijuana-related investment is not direct, such as an investment in a diversified mutual fund that is publicly traded on the United States stock exchanges, then that could be mitigation because there's no showing of knowingly investing. And uh, so if you're going to invest in a uh, mutual fund or an ETF exchange traded fund, and you find out that that fund has invested in marijuana related businesses, you should probably avoid it. If you didn't know that they were investing in those businesses, the director is saying that's mitigation. The director also talks about the whole person concept and looking at you as a human being and your accomplishments and everything else. And she is suggesting that the whole person concept can raise good mitigation in a response to SOR or in a presentation at a formal hearing before a federal administrative judge. The bottom line is this is getting highly technical This is beyond your uh, wheelhouse. You're probably great computer scientists, mathematicians, programmers, engineers, but you're not good at presenting your case in a courtroom. And you're going to be against a skilled U.S. attorney who is going to basically cut you up into ribbons, and you're going to be humiliated. If your job's important, if your career's important, And if you need a clearance, then spend or allocate uh, an amount of money to get professional help if you're confronted with a statement of reasons. You know, and this gets into an appeal process. When you send in your EQIP, your SF-86, and suddenly you're confronted with a statement of reasons, that's a first-level appeal. Your clearance has been denied based on the information that the government found in the SF-86 or from an investigative interview, and you've been denied, 
and you get a statement of reasons, that's your first level of an appeal. And that's significant. That's very important. It's a formal document, your response to that SOR. And I hope you'll call us at 800-481-2526. We do the formal responses. It has three parts, including a legal brief, and uh, runs about 20 to 30 pages. And it's really a worthwhile investment if, in fact, uh, your job is worthwhile. So a lot of people say, well, I think I'm going to save myself 1000 or 2000 or $3,000. I'm going to do this response myself, and then they lose. And then they lose their job, and they call me, and they say, well, I did this myself. I didn't know how serious it was, or I didn't know there were lawyers in this area. So please call us. This is Attorney Alan Edmonds. We do responses to SOR. We do consults for uh, completing the SF-86. And of course, we do the appeals at the actual hearing. And we're happy to help you. We've been helping people uh, for a long, long time. I personally have done over 3,500 hearings. And uh, you can reach me at 800-481-2526. I also want to share with you two other resources uh, to educate you and and, uh, make you a wiser Uh, applicant. And that is, uh, we have YouTube videos, 34 of them. They're very short. Uh, People love them. They're they're informative. But we also have these podcasts, which you're listening to right now. Uh, We uh, post a podcast every week on different topics. And this topic on marijuana and CBD is a result of your phone calls and your emails to me. And the large number of questions we get in this area. So uh, I hope that I can help you in the future. I hope this podcast has helped you realize that uh, you really should reach out and get professional help. Thank you.